Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. While I was uh, preparing uh, for the baptism and getting cleaned up, I got a text message, uh, and somebody sent me a picture of somebody watching us online, and it was from Stephanie Neal. She said, Jason Neal is watching us right now online, praising with us. Jason, we love you, buddy, praying for you. And uh, I texted, I'm going to shout him out. (laughs) And and, uh, we long for the day when you're right back in here worshiping with us. Amen, church. You believe in that? Amen. Amen. As God incarnate, as God in human flesh, dwelling among us, with us, Jesus Christ taught us, think about it, taught us so much about God, didn't he? Think about all that Jesus taught us about the nature of God, the character of God, the the acts of God. Uh, You got the Sermon on the Mount. You got the Olivet Discourse. You got all these prayers recorded uh, by, well, for one thing, John, the beloved disciple. Now think about all that Jesus taught us about God. How would you sum it up? Seriously, take the entire message of Jesus about God. Go ahead, sum that up for me. Would you need a book? Would you need multiple books? Even all that God has taught you in your life, could you do it in a paragraph? Could you do it in a tweet? Could you sum up the entire message of Jesus in a bumper sticker? How would you do it? That is exactly what John does in 1 John 1.5. He takes the entire message of Jesus and distills it to something that could fit on a bumper sticker. So turn there to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be in the fifth verse. If you are here last week, you know we stopped at verse 4 last week. And we're in a series on 1 John called That You May Know. And we're picking right up here today with verse 5. In fact, some of you, how many of you uh, took me seriously? You did your homework. You've been in 1 John. How many of you read 1 John every day? How many of you read? Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, every day? Hey, better than me? I got five. I got five days out of seven. Didn't get them all. We're going to talk about confessing your sins. So there you go. I, good. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to extend it one more week. Let's do it for one more week. One more week. I want us to read 1 John in its entirety. Like You mean like which chapter? Yes. Yes. I mean all the chapters. All the whole thing. Read it in one sitting. Read it in one go. Or listen to it. Some of you are discovering that you can be read to by your Bible app. And uh, several people told me, I didn't know. And there's all these wonderful accents. I was like, yeah. Um, mine's Irish randomly. Anyway, um, you can do it in a different version each day. Some of you are doing that. But let's read First John or have read to you First John uh, every single day. And let's do that for a second week. That will allow those that maybe weren't here last week to get in on this. And those that were, you're starting to see the richness. Well, here's a perfect example of that. Look at what John says in 1 John 1.5. This is the message we've heard from him. You know, the one risen from the dead, the one we saw with our eyes. We looked at our hands, handled the risen Jesus, and now proclaim to you. How would you finish that sentence? I mean, seriously, y'all, he takes, John is saying, let's take the entirety of Jesus' content and let's take the whole message of Jesus, and this is how we would sum it up. This is the message. You want to know what God is? You want to know all that Jesus taught us about God? Of all the ways he could sum it up, he says this, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. Now, that is just like 1 John. That's why I, I, I'm having us read it every single day. That is classic 1 John. He takes the simplest little words that even a child could understand. 
and loads them with such density and such depth and richness of theological meaning. I mean, think about all that is, it's just so simple. God is light, and in him there's no darkness. But think about all that is in that. God is light. Light, for one thing, start with the most basic. Light is foundational to life. You need light for, for existence, for life. One of my kids is uh, preparing for a science test, so I'm supposed to read the vocab words. And we got the photosynthesis, which means uh, something about my point here. Uh, <laughs> You know, some uh, plants, uh, chlora, chlora, something's involved, and they somehow make, they take the sun's energy and they need it for life. And so do you. It's the source of life. And God is the source of life. Light is also illuminating. It's revelation. When you got light, things aren't so scary, right? My, my kid, when, when you're asked to go out to, and do an, uh, a chore in the dark, it's not so scary when you have a flashlight. And uh, now as an adult, I'm no longer scared of the monsters. I'm scared of tripping and falling and breaking something, right? It's still a fear. But, right, no longer, right? Light has an illuminating power. And God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Light has the idea that there's no mixture of error. This business is about no darkness. God is light, and in him there's no darkness. He's perfect in his truth. God is truth with no mixture of error. And best of all, this has an ethical component to it, a moral dimension. God is safe. You can trust him. God is love. There's no darkness. And he takes pains to tell you, none at all. Why? He knows what we all know. We have to, each day, we have to drive out the lie of the enemy. The the enemy's always telling, well, I don't know if you can really trust him. John's saying, there's no shadow of turning. There's no dark side. God doesn't have a tricky nature. I'm 99% good, but watch out for that 1%. God is light. In him, there's no darkness. His, his will is the perfectly safe place in the universe for you to be. Why is this so important? The Christian life takes faith. And you've got to step out on faith. How am I going to step out on faith unless I know who's there to catch me? And if I've got any doubts about that, I'm sorry. I'm not stepping out, y'all. It, uh, I will always, you will always hold back in your obedience to Jesus until you are convinced that God is light. And in him there's no darkness. You can trust him. You'll always hold back. The old timers called it your doctrine of God. We've got to get our doctrine of God straight because once we realize that God is light and in him there's no darkness, that's why, by the way, that's why that truth is the fundamental, the foundational. That is the very first truth the enemy attacked way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. Did you know that? That's the very first thing he came after, didn't he? The very first thing he did was try to plant that seed of doubt, that lie. Did God really say y'all can't eat any trees in the garden? That seems pretty stingy of God. And Adam and Eve replied, remember this? Well, no, he said we could eat any tree we want. We just can't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, well, you won't really die. The reason, the reason God won't let you have that particular tree is he knows that when you eat that, you'll be like God. You'll be fully self-actualized, and he doesn't want that. See, God looks all beneficent and kind, but he's like 99% good. There's a little shadowy dark side there, and if he were truly good, if he were truly light, he would let you eat that fruit. So I'm not telling you what to do. Hey, look, what do I know? I'm just a talking snake. All I'm saying... <laughs> is that if God were really light, he would let you have that. See, I don't think that God is light, and in him there's no darkness. You see how insidious that is, right? He doesn't just get Adam and Eve to sin. He gets them to believe the lie from which every other sin will flow. Let me say that again. He doesn't just get them to sin. He gets them to believe a lie from which every other sin will flow. Isn't that true? Think about it. Pick a sin, any sin. Why would you sin? Because you doubt, 1 John 1, 5. 
Why would you, why would you steal? Well, because the Bible says God is light and God's a good shepherd and he'll provide for me. But I don't know if he's light. I don't know if I can believe him. So I'm going to take what I need in an illicit way. Why? Because I don't know if he can be trusted. Why would you lie? God says he'll guard my reputation, but I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know if he's light. So I'm going to tell this lie and shade the truth. Why? Because I don't know if he's truly light. Why would you lust? God says he'll fulfill all these appetites in his time and in his perfect context. But I don't know if he's light. I don't know if I can trust him. So I'm going to take this in an illicit way. Why? Because I don't know if I can believe that he's light. Why would you take revenge? God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. But how do I know he's going to be perfect and perfectly good? So I'm going to pour out wrath and I'm going to make other people pay. Why? Because I don't know if I can believe that God is light. And here, against all these lies, stands the truth of 1 John, where he says, this is what Jesus came to tell us, not just with his lips, but with his own life, so that you could look to the cross, you could, ever, you could forever say, yep, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness, none at all. I think that it's hard to get our heads around. For one thing, because other than Jesus, we've never seen a human being who's truly light. I mean, we've seen other people that are really nice and good, but nobody we can say is truly light. So part of it is that that lie of the enemy is still being uh, perpetrated. The, the lie of the enemy is still going around. You know, you can't believe him. You know, he's got a shadowy dark side. You can't really trust him and hear the word of God. That's why we read it every day. God is light. But there's another reason I think this is so hard to get our head around. That may be like more than we want. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you say God is light. Uh, Maybe we could have a God that like grades on the curve, you know? Uh, We're all sort of C plus, round up. Uh, God is light? Wait, that means if I have darkness, uh, you know what? I'd like a God who could be light but allow me to have a little bit of my own darkness. See, a God I've made in my own image. John answers that very objection. Is it possible to have fellowship with God and stay walking in darkness? Can we have a God who would allow us to walk in darkness? And that begins the first of three false claims. And that's going to form the outline of this sermon, if you're a note taker. Three false claims. Three spurious claims. And, here, and they all start with if we say. And here's the first one. If we say. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, here John is doing something that he'll do throughout this letter. He's introducing some basic tests, some basic indicators that we may know if we're truly born again. And here's the first. He says, if we claim we have fellowship with God, but we, have, we walk in unrepentant sin. In other words, sin, I have no I don't even have a desire to change this habit. I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to keep doing it my way. I'm going to avoid the light of God's revelation and walk in my own darkness. John says, you're lying. You're deceived. You know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The fellow that says, yeah, me, me and God are cool. You know, I want to live how I want to live, and I kind of do things my way. And I know some of the things God wouldn't approve of. And, and so technically that's darkness, but uh, that's what I do. No repentance, no remorse, but me and the man upstairs, we're cool. We got an understanding. We're good. You're not good, John says. To say, I have a relationship with no regard to righteousness, we lie. We do not walk in the truth. So if you're a note taker, false claim number one. When we claim to have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness. 
to, have, to claim to have fellowship with God but walk in darkness. John says this is logically impossible. You may recall if you were here last Sunday, John says the point of proclaiming the gospel is so that we can have fellowship with God and with one another. If, if God is light and we claim to have this fellowship with God and we're walking in darkness in unrepentant sin, since God is light, he's saying they're mutually exclusive. To say... I have fellowship with God, but I'm walking in darkness. It's like saying, I've been living underground in a coal mine for three weeks. And you know what? I I think I'm getting a suntan. (laughs) You say, listen, mole people, I don't know what to do with you, but you are not, most certainly not, getting a suntan. Why? Because those, those things are mutually exclusive. To say you're living in darkness precludes logically that you're getting a suntan. It's not possible. You say, yeah, but wait, wait, wait. Didn't I have a religious experience way back years ago? I remember I was a kid. I, got, I was in church. God gave me a good feeling. More than a comfortable religious feeling is needed, we must test our feelings by the revelation God has given us. The error that John is denouncing is that of refusing to accept the light of God's revelation, preferring the darkness of one's own way. Now look, this right out of the gate, this is heavy stuff. And I'll be the first to acknowledge, preacher, are you saying what I think you're saying? Yeah, I'm saying it is possible to say all the right things, to speak all the religious talk, to check off all the right religious boxes, and be walking in darkness. So you say with your lips, I've got fellowship with God, but my life, I'm walking in unrepentant sin, I'm walking in darkness. It's heavy stuff. But it's not, it's not some new teaching. G- John, who walked with Jesus, so close with Jesus, John heard Jesus say this. In, uh, in Luke's gospel, in the sixth chapter, you remember this? Uh, uh, Jesus says, like, why are we so shocked by this? Nobody expects to get figs off a thorn bush. You don't go expecting to pull, you see this beautiful orange tree, and you're all mad because you can't get a single apple off that orange tree. You don't expect apples to grow on orange trees. You don't expect to get figs from a a, a plum tree. Why are we shocked by this? Jesus says, you shouldn't be shocked by this. You'll know a tree by its fruits. Uh, He says, in in Luke 6, 46, why do you say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? You're claiming to have fellowship with God, but you're walking in darkness. Why are we so uncomfortable with that? I, I know why. We, we, we don't want to say, well, look, plums don't come from apple trees. We don't, I know why we don't. We want to create a God who won't ask us to change any of our behavior. And we long for, for one thing, we ache because we know of our own sinfulness. For another thing, we never want to seem judgmental because we're not God. We don't know people's hearts. But I think the biggest reason of all is grief and sadness and this burden because we've all got relatives. We've got wayward family members who claim to have fellowship with God. They don't care a thing about God. They don't care a thing about God's people. They're living in unrepentant sin. They're walking in darkness, and we just want some way. There's got to be some way where they can be safe under the umbrella of fellowship with God, and John won't let us have it. He says, there's a way to be safe under the fellowship of God. Be saved. Be truly saved and walk in light. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Over time, in other words, their walk will come in line with their talk. It's self-deception. Now, if you say, now, preacher, What about once saved, always saved? Well, let me talk to you about once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved is an absolutely true statement that never fails to be glommed onto by the exact wrong people who need to hear it. 
Let me say it again. Once saved, always saved is absolutely true. I'd stake my life on it. Once saved, always saved is absolutely true. And it never fails that the exact people who need that comfort are never the ones who receive it. And the exact people who do not need to hear that are the ones who receive it as if it's for them. Once saved, always saved is a saying that we use, that we talk about, to talk about how if you were saved by grace, you're kept by grace. So once saved, always saved is a saying that is meant to benefit a dear old saint. She's uh, in her late 80s, and for health reasons, she's no longer able to come to church. She's in an assisted living facility. And she misses her fellowship, and she starts to have doubts, and she's been walking faithfully with the Lord, but she's... And she's starting to forget a few things and a few more things. And she calls you in and she says, what if I forget God? What if I lose him? What if, what if? That's what once saved, always saved is for. You pull her close, you look her right in the eyes and say, if you forget God, God won't forget you. Once saved, always saved. If he got you, he'll get you safely home. That's never who receives that. That's never who receives that. The person who receives one saved always saved is always the person like, well, <laughs> I've been living in darkness. I hadn't darkened the doors of a church in 50 years. I got no desire for God or God's people. But I remember it was vacation Bible school. I was five. And uh, as I recall, I came forward or did something, prayed a prayer. And whoo, I hadn't done anything. I got no desire for God. I'm walking in darkness. But once saved, always saved. This is not something that any of us, I want to say to that, it's like, yes, once saved, always saved, but it needs like a footnote, and the footnote is, to say that that person has faith, that kind of quote-unquote faith seems like superficial faith, not saving faith, and what I would want to say to this person who says, I have no desire for God, I'm going to walk in darkness, but once saved, always saved, I would say, no, stop, I'm sorry, faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the foundation. Faith that fizzles out before the finish just reveals it was flawed from the foundation. It was never really saving faith. Why? You know a tree by its fruits. So if we claim to have fellowship with God but walk in darkness, we lie. We don't do the truth. This is, this is, heavy. This is one of the most painful conversations I have with people. And so I thought if I just had it with everybody at once, it would somehow be less painful. <laughs> well, you see why, right? Moms with, with adult children who are wayward, with tears in their eyes. Pastor, do you think he's saved? I'm not God. I can't see into anybody's heart. But, but if, you, if you imagine a young couple getting married, and he says, I do, and she says, I do. And the preacher says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And he says, awesome. I'm out. Peace. I will see you at our 50th wedding anniversary. And we'll have what a party we'll have. Excuse me, young man, what did you say? Yep, I'm out. What do you mean you're out? You guys aren't going to live together and create a life together? Huh? Nope, I'm out. But I'll see you at 50th anniversary. Uh, I'll check in on you at Christmas and Easter every now and then. But I'm out. I say, what on earth are you saying? And he looks at me and goes, once married, always married. I would say to him, I don't know where to begin with this. I really don't. But I'll tell you this you don't know the first thing about marriage. And it would make me question everything that's in your head when it talks to marriage. I don't even have a category for that. And so First John's like, well, if you want me to, I'll, I'll state the obvious. And First John says what we 
We know to be true. It's just hard. We claim to have fellowship with God but walk in darkness. The other reason it's so hard, and we haven't addressed this, is we look in our own life and we go, but I've got darkness in me. What about me? I claim to have fellowship with God, and I'm not, I'm not perfect. Does that mean, what does fellowship with God look like? Does that mean we have to be perfect? No. Both of those are addressed in verse 7. If we walk, it's a walk. That means it's a relationship. It's a walk. It's not just some, oh, it's a, a profession, you know, way, way back then, and then I don't care about God. I don't have fellowship with God. No, no, no. We're walking together, as in relationship together. Imagine a child walking with the father, and, and there's a good relationship, and that little child, when, when they get scared or things get dark or they're nervous, what do they do? They instinctively reach for the father's hand, and the father is there, and the father's always safe and always good. Why? Because God is light, and in him there's no darkness and you're walking with the Lord. Now, does this mean we don't have sin? No, just the opposite. In fact, that is addressed. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John's saying, of course, a believer is still going to wrestle with sin. So you have here the blood of Jesus cleansing us from sin. In fact, if you think about it, as long as you're in darkness, only people in darkness can admit that everything's fine. I mean, if you want a clean home, perfectly clean, where you can't see a speck of dirt, just turn all the lights off. It's not hard. Jackie, it's, it's not that hard, right? When you turn the light on, you're suddenly, and then, oh, and then spotlight. Billy Graham's wife told a story about they were going to do an interview, and she had worked and worked. They were going to do it in uh, uh, Billy and Ruth Graham's uh, study in their home, right, right, right there in the home. They thought it'd be neat to do like Billy Graham at home and they did this interview. And so she said, I've never been so nervous to clean everything in my life. And she had that thing spick and span and clean. And she said, it was perfectly clean. And then they brought in the flood lamps that they used to illuminate an interview. And she's like, ah, there's dust everywhere. Why? Because it's not till you come into the light that you really see what's really going on. So if anything, ironically, as Christians get more and more in fellowship with God, their sin becomes more and more evident. The Holy Spirit reveals more and more. Why? Because you're walking in the light. So Christians don't, it, it's not that they're, it, it's not perfect. A Christian is walking with God. If anything, just becomes more and more aware. Isn't that true? The older, the more mature as you walk with Jesus, the more you realize you need his grace. People say, well, those Christians, you know, salvation and Jesus, that's just a crutch. Are you kidding me? When people say, oh, that's just a crutch. I'm like, crutch? He's my crutch? He's my stretcher? Uh, he's the ambulance, he's the ER, he's the doctors, nurses, the medicine, and he's all the rehab. He's all the physical therapy. He's everything. Uh, yes, I need him. I need him not just for a crutch. I need full-blown resuscitation. And the more a Christian walks with the Lord, the more they realize their need for that forgiveness. And of all things, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Isn't this interesting? What would you think he would say? Because when a Christian sins, the relationship with God is not severed. The fellowship is clouded. You would think he would say, get in the light, walk in the light so that you have fellowship with God. But it's interesting, he throws you a curveball. Why? Of course you're going to have better fellowship with God. But what does it do to us? Fellowship with what? One another. And that's true. When you start misbehaving, you either have to put on a mask, you have to start lying about your sin, you have to say, yeah, me and God are good, but I'm in darkness. And over time, you get tired of wearing that mask and you worry that other people are gonna see you. When you're in the darkness, you're worried about being exposed. And so eventually, you just stop coming. You just isolate. It's easier to drop out of a Sunday school than have to actually nurture a relationship. Or what if somebody's gonna expose me? It's easier to just quit coming around the people of God. It's painful. When you're in the darkness, you don't wanna be exposed. But when you know you're a sinner who's walking in the light, you're not scared. Why? You've already been exposed. 
What's the worst they can say about me? I say that about myself in my hymns every Sunday morning. I'm a sinner in need of grace. Oh, how sweet, how sweet the fellowship of a gospel-preaching church who knows we're just a bunch of forgiven sinners together. What openness that gives us. What fellowship, knowing that the blood of Jesus, his son, is our hope to be cleansed from all sin. Well, that's the first false claim, to claim to have fellowship with God, but walk in unrepentant sin. The second is in verse 8, that we have no sin nature. If we say, here's the second one, if we say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now you may say, Tom, that's crazy. Who would say that? Who the, Who would say that they don't have a sin nature? But let's not let ourselves off the hook too easily. Culturally, does this not sound so perfectly modern? I mean, can you imagine? Uh, You know the problem. You know the problem. Uh, The problem is sin and total depravity. (gasps) Oh, no, the modern mind would say. No, 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 no. Everything, guilt, it can all be explained away with physiological reasons, psychological reasons, sociological reasons. But to say someone is a sinner, that's going to... What about their self-esteem? You know, I was going to say, I'm a Christian. I have self-esteem. I have no esteem. I have the blood of Jesus, right? But I get what they're saying. And thankfully, we do have advances in physiological medicine and psychology and sociology. That's fine. But it's a very modern thing to say, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You can be without a sin nature. John's battling against some heretics that were saying that. The body is evil and wicked and good, but you can be perfect in spirit. And so what God cares about is your spirit. So you can have a sinless spiritual nature. John's saying that's a lie. You're, just, you're self-deceived is what you are, and the truth is not in us. So what's the second false claim? The first was when we claim to be, have fellowship with God but walk in darkness. The second is if we claim to have no sin nature. <clears throat> Supposedly, a man had written to Charles Spurgeon to say that he disagreed with his doctrine of sin and that he himself has no sin nature. He claims that as a Christian, uh, the Spirit had helped him completely mortify the old, the old sin nature, the old man, and that he was completely alive to Christ. He had taken some scriptures out of context from Romans and Galatians, and he had written this in a letter. Spurgeon wanted to hear more, invited him to dinner. Story goes that after hearing the man, what he had to say, that he had been utterly freed from a sin nature at the end of the, toward the end of the meal, Spurgeon took his full glass of cold ice water and threw it all over the man's face. Well, of course, outraged, the guy jumped up and began yelling at Spurgeon, who said, ah, there it is. Your old sin nature wasn't dead. He had just fallen asleep, and I thought a little cold water might revive him. (laughs) Side note, one day in glory, there's going to be a long line in heaven of preachers waiting to apologize to Spurgeon when we find out that, like, none of these stories attributed to him actually happened. (laughs) It's got to be made up, right? But, end of side note, but the point... The point is well made. It does no good to say we aren't broken when we know we are. It does no good just to say we haven't hurt people when we know we have. John Stott has an incredible quote of all the religions. Christianity is the only one that insists on taking sin seriously. And then offers a satisfactory moral solution to the problem of sin. What's that moral solution? Let's talk about it. Is there a better way? Of course. Don't, when it comes to sin... Don't conceal it, confess it. Don't conceal, confess. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, instead of being in denial and saying, no, 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 I don't have any sin. 
Instead, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instead of hiding, confess. What is confession? That means in prayer, agree while you're praying, take some moments and agree with God about anything he says doesn't belong in a child of God that you've got floating around in your life. Agree with God. You're right. I'm wrong. That doesn't belong in here. I need to acknowledge it. Name it. This is what it was. I knew what I was doing when I did it. This is the attitude. This is the thought. This is the habit. This is the action. Lord, I repent from it. I want to say I'm sorry. I agree with you. You told me. I should have known better. I didn't do it. I want to say I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I want to move forward in holiness. Got it? That's confession. Uh, should you confess your sins one to another? Well, the book of James talks about that. Uh, you know, when I, anytime it's public confession, I'm always like, let us confess our sins. You go first, right? I mean, right? Because there is a, a, a difficulty there. I'm, let's start with confessing in prayer, but uh, 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 just between you and the Lord. But we all know every sin. The reason you start with just you and God. Every sin is cosmic treason. Every sin is ultimately against God and God alone. But we all know that when we sin, some of the people caught in the wake of that sin. Uh, innocent bystanders, right, are uh, people we've hurt through sin. And that's why James says, go and make it right. And you can say, I'm sorry, you can confess one to another. Don't conceal, confess about whatever does not belong in a child of God. Tell the truth. Think of it this way. Holy Spirit, as you're praying, do this. Holy Spirit, do a Google search on the word offensive in my life. Go. Whatever the Holy Spirit convicts you of, whatever he brings up, confess it and move forward. And here's the incredible promise Alistair Begg says this, verse 9, is a massive door that swings on a tiny hinge. The massive door. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That swings on, if we confess. If we confess. Confess our sins. And it says that God is two things and he does two things. He is faithful and just. And what does he do? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Y'all, isn't this, isn't this gospel good news? He, he forgives us, which is to say uh, uh, he deals with sin's penalty. And he cleanses us, which is to say he deals with sin's pollution. He deals objectively by forgiveness with not only the sin problem we have before a holy God, he deals with us subjectively and he cleans up the, those who feel dirty and, 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 and uh, polluted. He cleanses us. The old hymn says, be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. You hear that? It's, it's two. Forgive us and cleanse us. Why? Because he is faithful and just. Again, this is, this is First John. This is what he does. These are simple words. Everybody can understand them. And yet they bear the freight of one of maybe the great paradox in the entire Bible. And there it is. Simple words. That unlocks the great mystery of the entire Bible. And that's simply this. How can God be loving Faithful, he is faithful. How, on the one hand, how can he be faithful? He loves us. He's faithful means he's faithful to his promises. The promises he made to Adam and to Noah and to Abraham and to you and me. John three sixteen. the author of 1 John even said, God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So he, how are you going to have this eternal life because of the faithful love of God? You're going to be invited into this intimate fellowship with him forever and ever. How can he be faithful? while at the same time a just judge of sin. He's just, holy, 
sin will be burned up and consumed in his presence, which means if there's sin in you and me, and there is, we're gonna be burned up and consumed in his presence. And if you say, well, justice is not that big a deal, tell that to someone who was victimized. Then tell them, we're letting your victimizer go free. Eh. What it says is your pain doesn't matter. There's, there's never gonna be any ultimate judge in the universe. Nobody will ever have to answer for anything they do. That's not satisfying. Even to the most wicked atheist, they wouldn't agree to that. They would say, that ain't right. And they're right. So he is just. So you tell me how. You tell me how. God is going to be faithful. I can see how he'd be faithful to forgive sins. Just sweep them under the rug. Then he can have the faithful love. But then he wouldn't be just. On the other hand, if he's just, he's going to judge sin. How can he be faithful to love us? You know the answer. How can he be faithful and just to forgive us our sins? The cross of Calvary. Look at Jesus on the cross, and there, what do you see? The justice of God poured out. Every sin was laid upon him. He bore the wrath. He satisfied the wrath of God. Justice was paid. He paid it all so that God's faithful love can be given to all who believe. The faithfulness of God and the justice of God perfectly meet in the man of sorrows as he's hanging there, bleeding and dying as a sacrifice for you, in your place, and for your salvation. As my substitute, he was the punishment for every sin. I'll go one step further. It's the faithfulness of God, you might say, that brings about his justice, and the justice of God that brings about his faithfulness. I can do this quickly. Are you saved by the faithfulness of God or the justice of God? The answer is yes. It is yes. On the one hand, you'd say, we're saved by the faithfulness of God, and it's his faithfulness that allows him to forgive sinners because justice was fulfilled. You might just, just as easily look at it the other way around. You are saved. You are going to be saved and given eternal life and glory because of the justice of God. You say, what do you mean? Well, I can illustrate. Uh, several years ago, Jackie and I had had enough. It was such a bitterly, bitterly cold New York winter, which is to say it was like a Thursday. <laughs> and we'd had enough. And so like on a whim, we were just like on, on the phone and we, we, we always had, you know, uh, her parents live, live here out on Smith Lake. And, and so we, we had Coleman's weather and it was like 70 degrees or something. And spring break was coming up and, or winter break or whatever they had. And we were like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just throw the kids in our minivan and let's just point the wheels south and let's just drive to Alabama. And like, let's do it, you know? And so we emerged from our apartment. Ah, the light, it burns, you know? <laughs> All pale and pasty. And we uh, load the kids in the Honda Odyssey minivan, and we just, man, we head out on that 18-hour uh, uh, journey to get down. So we, you know, it's too late. We didn't buy any plane tickets or whatever. We just threw them in there. You know, it's not like kids can object. You know, we just, mm, sorry, <laughs> you know, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Isn't that a great age? And, uh, and, we're, and we're driving down, and um, we uh, had been driving all day, and we're just, you know, you know how it is on a big, long road trip. You're just bedraggled. And uh, we stop at a, at a, at a town in, uh, in Bristol, was it Virginia or Tennessee? I don't know. And uh, it, was, it was one of the Bristols. And, uh, and so we check into the hotel. We're looking forward to a good night's sleep. We'll do the rest of the trip the next day. And we go looking for dinner, and we go into this uh, Mexican restaurant. And uh, we have a, a wonderful dinner there. We're eating, and we get done. And when we're done, uh, it's time for the check. So I, you know, call for the check. And Jackie's like, you don't, you don't you do that in New York. You don't do that here. You wait patiently, and they bring it when they're ready. Okay, noted. <laughs> Can't do that. All right. 
I didn't know that. I thought, you, you know, it makes more sense. It's not about what makes sense. It's about what's nice. Okay, fine. We'll do it that way. So, so the waitress comes over and she says, all right, y'all are good. Excuse me? Y'all good. What do you mean we're good? Where's the bill? The check, the ticket. Well, somebody, somebody paid for y'all. Just paid for the whole thing, tip and everything. Y'all, y'all are good. So I'm looking around. I was like, well, who, who did that? Well, they were here. They were here earlier. I don't, I don't see them. I guess they're gone. Two things since that day have always bothered me. Always. One, you reckon it was an angel? <laughs> and two, how homeless did we look? <laughs> Like, I knew it was rough, but like, oh, they got New York plates. Oh, bless their heart, this homeless vagrants. I'm like, I can buy my burrito. You know what I'm saying? I don't need What would you say if that manager saw this whole thing take place and our burritos were paid in full, tip and everything, and he told that waitress, hey, let's pocket that money and go charge them again for the meal. What would you say? No, that's exactly, even kids know. That ain't right. Why? That's crooked. That's crooked. That's unjust. That wicked manager has already been paid. So once it's paid for, it's paid for. And to ask for payment again, that's unjust. Do you know the reason, Christian, you're going to spend eternity in heaven is because of the justice of God. Because every sin has been paid for. And it would be unjust of God to demand double payment. It's his justice that will see you safely home. Because on the cross... Every sin on him was laid, leaving no further payment to be made. It's his faithfulness and his justice to forgive us sin. When he died on the cross, he said, when it comes to sin, it is finished, not to be continued. See, One final claim John addresses, and that will be enough for today. Probably be more than enough for today, but I can't help. Verse 10, if we say, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Here again, I don't do that. Who would do that? Okay, okay. I will grant you that it seems a little far-fetched for somebody to say, yes, I never sinned. I'll grant you that. If you'll grant me, we do this all the time, when we think we're never the ones to blame. Will Will you at least grant me humans have an incredible capacity to justify their own bad behavior? Would you at least grant me that? Don't we always have a reason for why we do what we do? The other guy had no excuse. What about you? I have many excuses. Right? See the difference? False claim number one, we claim, to have no fel- we claim to have fellowship with God, walk in darkness. Number two, we claim to have no sin nature. Number three is when we claim we are never the ones to blame, he's saying you're making God a liar. How do we do this? Well, I'll give you an example. We do it by, here's how we generally do it. We find the one sin that we happen not to commit, and we stake that out as our moral high ground. Then we climb to our newly staked out high ground with a little token confession of the sins we've deemed smaller, thus making ourselves appear that we claim to have sin, but when in fact we're just justifying our own sinlessness. 
That was a very complex uh, sentence, and I think I lost everybody, so I'll do it this way. It's the fellow who says, well, I'm not perfect, which everyone says no one believes. I'm not perfect. Now, I may tell a lie. And I may, I may uh, steal from my neighbor. And I may get drunk every night. And I get a little violent. But I do not freebase cocaine. <laughs> I, I don't do it. I don't do it. I won't. I don't do it and I won't. And you scratch your head and you're like, what? You may think that is utterly ridiculous, and I'm telling you, that same thing, that's a ridiculous example, but that same thing happens. It's going to happen. I hope it doesn't, but odds are it'll happen right here today. It's going to happen today, this week. It's going to happen. How so? I know exactly how it happens. Say you got a marriage, and they're in trouble, and they're fighting, and they know right now their marriage is in shambles. It's in a valley. It's in a dark place. You know what's going to happen? The same thing. You laugh at that, but it's the same thing. Why? Because here's what the husband says. I'm not perfect. I know it's a two-way street. I know, I know. I've got my stuff. Here we go. See what I did? I staked out a little more high ground. But if she, and if, that, and if she did this, and if she would stop doing that, and her thing is this, and that, you see what's happening? It's her stuff. I'm not to blame. If we claim to have no sin, we make God a liar. And it could just as easily be the other way. I'm not perfect. But if he did this, I know I mess up every now and then too. But in this case, I'm the victim. I'm the grieved party. What we're really saying over and over is we're saying, I have no sin. That's 1 John 1.10. It's a false claim. It's a spurious claim. Deceiving. And it says you make God a liar. Do you see that? How? How is God a liar in that case? Because if I'm okay and you're okay, then explain the cross. Makes the whole business about the cross a big lie. See? So what's the hope for us if we're deceived, broken sinners? Oh, my little children. I'm writing these things to you. Look at the next verse. So that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, the balance here. Don't you see what beautiful gospel balance if, you heard, if all you heard from John or from a preacher, if all you heard your whole life was everybody sins, everybody sins, everybody sins, everybody sins, you might accidentally grow up and think that sin must not be any big deal. Sin's no big deal. God doesn't care if you sin. So John balances that with, I'm writing this so that you may not sin. Do not sin. Well, if you hear that, but if you only, if you only heard that your whole life, do not sin, do not sin, do not sin. You would think, oh, sin is such a big deal, I can never be forgiven. So note the gospel balance. If anyone does sin, do not sin. But if he does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. One more insight, and then we'll be done. You, you gotta, Satan will often use this against you. Be aware. Here's his pattern. He gets you out of balance. <clears throat> Before you sin, while you're still in the temptation phase, before you sin, he will do everything he can to tell you sin is not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Everybody sins. Everybody struggles. It's okay. It's probably just a mistake. It's not even a sin. It's not outright rebellion. It's a whoops. You know. And, um, and there's grace. Like, it's no big deal. It'll be fine. Your fellowship with God, you'll probably not even feel it. You'll probably not even feel a blip on the radar of your fellowship with God. 
before you sin, he's doing everything he can to convince you it's not a big deal. Then after you sin, while you're in remorse and condemnation, Satan piles on the opposite lie. It's such a big deal, you piece of garbage. You will never, never have fellowship with God again. It's over. And it's probably, honestly, it's probably the straw that broke the camel's back. You were waiting for this day to come. Well, here it is. This is the big one for which you cannot be forgiven. You see that? You see that? Before you sin, he wants to tell you it's no big deal. After you sin, he wants to tell you it's such a big deal. How can he do that? Because he's a liar. He's the father of lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. So what do you need to hear from the Holy Spirit? You need to hear truth. You need 1 John. Do not sin. So if anyone here is contemplating sin, let me plead with you. You're too valuable. You're a child of God. You don't need that. And your fellowship with God will be clouded. Do not sin. But if anybody in here is in the brokenness and they're looking and they're hearing this whole sermon, they're going, well, I'm walking in darkness and I'm trying so hard, but I'm, I'm, I'm failing and does God even want me? Listen to me. If you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In fact, somebody who would say to me, how do I know if I've truly repented? I'm worried I haven't truly repented. I say, I think that's a sign you've truly repented. Why? Because if you haven't truly, truly unrepentant people don't care whether or not they've truly repented. They don't even care. But you, you're broken. You're agonizing. Why? Because you don't want to break the heart of your father. So you see the balance. The Holy Spirit can do what no preacher can do. And he'll take, I don't know which of those you need to apply to your life right now, or maybe both, but he will apply it in just the proper proportion. Musicians are going to come and help us in a time of response. I got one last verse there as, the, as they come and, and prepare uh, to lead us. I, I want us to really respond to this message. I know it's heavy stuff. He is the propitiation for our sins, verse 2 says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation means atoning sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God turns aside the wrath of God, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I love that. In other words, he's saying, not just for our little group here, but Jesus gave the great commission, go ye therefore into all the earth. The whole world needs this gospel. The whole world needs to know that they have an advocate with Jesus, the righteous. In other words, Jesus is right now sat down at the right hand of God the Father, and he is advocating for you. He is pleading your case. When the accuser roars, he pleads. It's done. It's over. That's why Jesus doesn't need to be re-crucified every Sunday morning in some mass. It was a once-for-all sacrifice. He died once for all for your sins past, present, and future. He rose again with all power and authority in his hand, and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. So every Sunday morning doesn't need to be a re-crucifixion of Jesus. He ain't getting back on that cross. He's risen up from the dead. Every Sunday morning needs to be a celebration of what was done once for all. Which means, y'all, which means... For anybody who feels like a failure, you're listening to the roar of the accuser. And when that accuser roars, you have a paraclete. The, the, the Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a paraclete, a one who comes alongside. Here, John calls Jesus your paraclete in heaven. He comes alongside. He advocates for you. And what does he plead? What does he plead? To the Father, why, why should you accept this child? Why should you forgive this person? When the accuser roars, does Jesus say, Father, forgive their sin. Why? because they're going to do better next time. Father, pardon them. Why? Because if you give him another chance, I promise he'll get it right. No, that's the kind of stuff we say. That's not what he says. Does he say, Father, pardon their iniquities. Why? Because they've been coming faithfully on Wednesday nights, and everybody knows that's double points. That's worth two Sundays. 
Father, receive them because they've been faithful to witness. No. They read, Father, receive him, forgive him. Why? Because he read first John, all, all sick, five days. He read it. Hmm? Is that what he says? It says none of that. When the accuser roars, he merely points to his hands, his side, his pierced feet. The once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that satisfies all justice forever and silences the accuser. You know that hymn, before the throne of God above. You know that one? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Like, who would not want to live in that light this week? Who's with me? Like, let's, let's walk in the light. Let's walk in the light. God is light in him. There's no darkness. What? Fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. I can't wait. I want to read it every day and not miss two this time, you know? Really, I want to walk in light. You just don't you? Who doesn't want that? Let's pray together. God, we pray to you who are who is light, and in you there is no darkness, none, whatever. And I pray specifically for two groups right now, Lord. I, I pray for anybody who is hearing this or they're watching this online, and this is hitting them hard. And God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you convict them, not to tear them down or to beat them up or anything like that. But with laser-like precision, you convict them because today's the day they realize they do not have real saving faith. They are not walking in light. They're walking in darkness. And today is a lifeline of gospel good news to them that they can be saved today. And if anybody needs that message, God, grant it to them. Secondly, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are believers who have grown weary or discouraged or they're worried they've fallen too far, that today would be a shot in the arm of gospel encouragement. As they picture Jesus, every sin laid on you, there's no payment left. And so God, you who, are, who, who is just can, can look on Jesus and pardon us. And I pray they take fresh courage to walk in the light and not uh, cover up or put on a mask or not claim that we're never to blame or anything like that. No more self-justification. Oh, but that we walk in the light as you are in the light. And that blood that speaks a better word, cleansing us from all sin's pollution. I pray that for Christians. Give them that. Grant us all that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.